There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And today we're joined by two special guests, if you don't mind introducing yourselves. Yep. This is Callum, and Luke's here also. We're from the band called Five Seconds of Summer. Hey, how you doing? It's Luke here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Five Seconds of Summer, abbreviated to Five Sauce, Five S-O-S, is so much fun. You are the first group to have your first two albums go number one. You have countless hit singles. Some of my favorites are Young Blood. Who do you love? Lie to Me featuring Julia Michaels. You have done worldwide tours with One Direction. You are a stadium touring act in your own right, and you have a really loyal and vocal fan base. Today, we're going to talk about some of your new music. But first, we're going to do something a little bit unusual. We are going to do a segment that we have never done before and will probably never do again called <laughs> Aussie to Aussie. Yes. Some of our great Australian friends from the band Five Second of Summer have brought another band to us that we wanted to listen to together and break down before we listen to some of Five Sauce's music. So, you have brought us Tame Impala, a musical project of the Australian songwriter and producer Kevin Parker, who really defies genre. He's often labeled psych pop, but he's worked with people spanning Mark Ronson, Travis Scott, and Kanye West. His music has been covered by Rihanna. Yeah, we're we're huge fans of Tame Impala. Obviously, being on the show, being Australians, we need we needed to uh, kind of insert some uh, patriotism, uh, as you might say. So uh, yeah, he was the first person to kind of come to mind in terms of uh, modern Australian acts. He has a new album, The Slow Rush, which is a meditation on time. You chose the song Borderline. Let's take a listen. So what is it about this particular track, Borderline, that that speaks to you? The thing that fascinates me just about Kevin, I say Kevin as if I know, but I've (laughs) never met him before. He seems pretty approachable. Yeah, exactly. Is just the cultural impact he's had as an artist in Australia. 
you know, we've had people who've who've stood in similar lanes in terms in terms of that, which I would say like Angus Young is one and definitely Michael Hutchins is one. Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil. There's it's a certain energy and pandemonium around around that <laughs> band in terms of um, people feeling proud that he's from Australia, which I totally love and find endearing. In this song, for me, as a bassist, it's the tempo and the groove that I love. <laughs> I think within his album, there's there's total diversity within tempos which I think creates a great body of work. So this that's what drew me to this uh, song in particular. I don't know how Luke feels about it. What do you think, Luke? I mean, I agree with everything you just said. I think he, he's an interesting one because I feel like he totally has a sound, which can be scary as an artist to have a sound, but it's just him doing it. So it's like he's doing everything, so it's going to sound kind of similar each time. But he seems to like step it up with... The way, it, like the way he mixes it, everything in together, and he steps it up with like Cal was talking about new grooves and like new bass lines. It doesn't ever feel like it's like one really co- like cohesive piece of work every time, but then it's also like really diverse and it's really odd to have those two things mixed together. <laughs> yeah, he he had a conversation recently with Zane on Beats One about how he goes about creating his sound, and I think Colm, you'll connect with this. In particular, I almost feel like you're a drummer above anything else. Well, yeah, it's true. I believe so. Like the rhythms for me are almost more important than the actual melodic, like chords and stuff themselves. Like outside of drums and percussion and stuff, like the the rhythm of the vocals, the rhythm of the bass line, every, like all the rhythms going together is to me. To me, that's like the cornerstone of Tame Impala. I think a great example of this would be like in the outro of the song when we really hear that bass interlocking with the drums in a really tight rhythm. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he's become almost notorious for adding a second bass line towards the end of the song to add to the dynamic of the song, which is a really cool feature to add. Yeah, I love the idea here that the song is driven by rhythm first, right? Like rather than hooks or lyric, he's thinking about how to establish a groove. And I think that's one of the things that really defines, Luke, you put it, you know, like, there's a really clear Tame Impala sound. Yeah. I think that's one of the places we identify it. I could definitely sense that. Not that he doesn't spend time in his lyric and melody, but it definitely feels very, like he said, it comes with like the bass and the drums. Um, and it's definitely... I mean, we even fell into that the last couple albums. Like, it's so important to have that down. And a lot of our songs that go down really well live now have started from us playing as a band or like starting ha- like what what groove or uh, rhythmic pocket are we missing on this album? And then we go in and try and do that. And then we'll do like a lyric and melody over the top. Lyric and melody is more important to me in particular. And I think us as a band anyway, but taking whether it was from hearing Tame Impala or just kind of like, I don't know, trying to fill in those rhythmic gaps for us. It definitely is something we've thought about more and more. You know, the rhythm drives this track, but then there's some really moving lyrics, you know, like, will I be known and loved? Is there one that I trust? This song is... The idea, I guess, of being on the borderline and just like always questioning. 
And another way that the song is questioning might be in the, the structure and form of the song itself. Where you think the verses and bridge and chorus belong is not always where they appear. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I was playing this out and I was listening to the what is called the verse. Well, the first thing we get, well, check this out. Like, it's hard for me to tell if that's a verse or if it actually is the hook, because after this, we get some other material they call a bridge. <laughs> the section just happens once before going right back into what, again, is sort of, it's titled a verse in the lyrics, but now we get the, the, the title of the song. So it sort of suggests that what we're hearing is a chorus. Just chorus after chorus. Yeah, it's almost like one long chorus. <laughs> yeah, the whole song is one long chorus, yeah. yeah. That's the dream, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but then there's a whole other section which they call the chorus. Yeah. So what do you think of this? Do you think that this this song, which feels like kind of an experimental structure, and yet it's a single, and it's a really successful album from a very successful band, do you think this falls within a pop sound? I mean, pop is, to me anyway, and to a lot of people, is just like popular music, so people love this. So it's definitely pop, <laughs> and the way it sounds to me is very, is dreamy, but it also doesn't shy away from melody, it doesn't shy away from, although it has an interesting song structure, I, I even see those... I mean, it's different ends of the field, I guess, but I even see that in like Post Malone, and like he just, it's almost like he just keeps throwing awesomeness at you <laughs> and just keeps throwing mm. like awesome melodies and parts and rhythms and stuff and just like keeps your ear the whole time. And I think that's maybe another reason that people connect with it so much because it's relentless in like earworms. I love that you pulled that out. I too, when I was listening to this song, was thinking about Post Malone and realizing, I think, a lot of the sort of phrasing that is really popular in melodic structure, which is popular right now, feels like we might actually owe a lot to Tame Impala. When you get these sort of internal small melodies that repeat again and again and again, and you can hear that in Tame Impala, you can hear that in Post Malone, you can hear that in so many other artists. 100%. I just think it's, um, I mean, it even could relate back to the the smaller attention span we're getting. Whereas if you're going to have a three-minute song, you better have a few parts and a few uh, melodies that change and uh, keeps your interest the whole time. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I was really surprised to hear from Kevin Parker, who in a conversation with Click TV, did refer to his music as absolutely pop. How pop do you want it to be? Very, very pop. I mean, I've always considered my music to be really pop. So I think that it doesn't really matter what sounds you're using, if you're starting with hook first or rhythm first or how you're structuring a song, it feels like what matters is sort of the intent and uh, the intent is for people to love this, to dance, to groove to it. And I think it's succeeding on that level. Yeah, 100%. I think even though, I mean, obviously it has like that 80s influence like with the synths and it's definitely unique, 100%. There's no doubt about that, but it's um, it's popular music by definition. He plays arenas. You know, it does very well. So I would... You know, I would call that popular music. Yeah. 100%. Shouldn't be a negative, I feel like. Right on, yeah. And it's like, you know, 
I think his strategy is get that rhythm, get that groove going, and then you can kind of start to sprinkle some weird stuff on top, and people won't mind as long as as long as they're feeling the groove. You know, you can get away with some like he's got some flute and pizzicato strings in here. I've never seen an interview of him talk about this, but I was actually wondering because uh, it's just him that does everything. And as we've moved more into like more of a production side of things, we're even trying to demo things ourselves. I wonder how long he spends on each song because it sounds like he spends a long time, but maybe he's just a freak at it. Yeah, he says about his process that I, th- I think he works up until the very end when somebody says that this is going to mastering and is being released in two weeks and you have to finish <laughs> the music. <laughs> right, so he's tweaking constantly. Definitely. Okay, this has been a lot of fun getting to talk about your Aussie brethren, Tame Impala, but we really want to get to dive into Five Seconds of Summer. We're going to do that right after the break. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docuseries, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I did it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. I like bringing up this idea of what fits within a pop format. And Five Seconds of Summer are a group that really sort of similarly belie genre. How do you think about the label pop? Is that something you wear comfortably or are unsure about? I remember the first time, like when I was like 15, and our songs went on iTunes for the first time. And in my head, we played at the start in the shows we could play were with metal bands and really heavy rock bands because that was the only people that were playing shows in the place we grew up. So we ended up doing that. And we were just a live band at that point. So in my head, we're a rock band. You know, or a pop punk band or whatever you call it, like very like angsty, I suppose. And then our music went on like iTunes or whatever, and it was labeled pop. And I go to my manager, I'm very young and naive. I go, how come it says pop on our on our thing? And he goes, no mate, he's English. No mate, it's just that's just popular music. It means 
lots of people listen to it <laughs> or whatever he said. And I was like, oh, okay. So like the Beatles are pop and the Stones are pop and everyone, <laughs> like anything with the, when you can attach yourself to a melody is technically a pop song. I think anyway, like even some of those like Slipknot songs, it's going to sound ridiculous, but like the melody in Before I Forget by Slipknot is a pop melody in my head. Even though it's fucking madness around it, it's still something that people latch onto. I love that. So it sounds as though pop is a very broad umbrella for you all. Your your sound has evolved quite a lot over your albums. And you have a, a new album out, Calm, just came out on March 27th. What were your expectations going into this project? I think at the very beginning, it came from a very pure place. And it was very impulsive, I think, in terms of the songwriting. It reflected what music we grew up with as well. I mean... In Western Sydney, there was a huge movement of pop punk and punk. There were a lot of metal fans out there as well. So like even our first gigs were with, you know, these metal bands with guys in their 30s. And you'd, we'd have like 10 young girls at our stage and then there'd be 50 old dudes over at the other stage watching the metal bands. <laughs> and that kind of influenced us in, in the way that we wanted to achieve something great. Uh, with our music and uh, I think especially with Australians there's a there's a big mental attitude towards just being the best version that you can um, in terms of a human and also a musician as well so that played a big part and then kind of as as our career progressed we were just fine-tuning in terms of how we wanted to articulate the message to our fans of who we were as artists and kind of incorporate the influences of all the artists that we love and uh, add our spin onto it as well. So, yeah. Tell me about the process of choosing some of the sounds for this album. What were you trying for? I mean, at the time I was listening to a lot of Massive Attack. Massive Attack was a huge influence for me personally on this, on this record. And I really wanted to try and incorporate a lot more euphoric elements into into the records because I think that's something that we haven't necessarily touched on, as we were talking about before. Is Tame Impala, and I've seen them a couple times play, and it's it's just a feeling you get when you see them live. It doesn't matter if you know them or not. It's um the energy is is totally reciprocated. And uh, I think in terms of sounds, we were using a, we were using a Prophet and we are using a, a Juno and a Wurlitzer for most of the key sounds. And then we were lucky enough to have uh, a couple of producers such as uh, Happy Perez. He would take those sounds away and he'd just totally manipulate them. And it'd come back kind of this total weird flipped upside down hybrid of a thing. So... Up till now, we've been asking some pretty softball questions, but we're, we're going to turn up the heat now. We're going to put you uh, on the spot. And here's a, here's a little uh, trivia question for y'all. What does five seconds of summer have in common with Sheryl Crow, Bon Jovi, the Bee Gees, Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstadt, Tom Petty, 
Beach House, Nicholas Jar, Soccer Mommy, and Ghostface Killa. You have five seconds for your answer. Holy shit. Uh, Dolly Parton, I'd say a lyrical sincerity and storytelling. Uh, wait, what was the other ones? Cheryl Crow, Bon Jovi, The Bee Gees, Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstadt, Tom Petty, Beach House, Nicholas Jar, Soccer Mommy, and Ghostface Killa. I would say Bon Jovi. We love a big, fat live show and a big ripping guitar solo wherever we can sneak one in. Um, You're too good sports to, I can't, I can't let this go any longer. You, every one of these artists has a song title that is Wildflower. Really? You're in good company. I love that Tom Petty song. Yeah. You belong among the wildflowers. You You belong with the wildflowers. (laughs) (laughs) We have a song called Wildflower and all of those artists do too. That's what we have. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. So let's zoom in on this track, which we have had on heavy rotation recently. Is there a story behind uh, Wildflower? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the main core of the album was written with Andrew Watt, Ali Tamposi, Louis Bell, and uh, Happy Perez. But we also, on the last album, worked with a man called Rami Yacoub. And he is a great mentor in terms of um, how he's helped us uh, develop our uh, songwriting style. Yeah, people might know Rami Yaakob as one of the collaborators of Max Martin in his early career, making songs for the likes of Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys. And he's also worked continuously with all the great acts, Selena Gomez, Nicki Minaj, Madonna, Demi Lovato, all these kinds of folks. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's great in terms of his melodic taste. Everything that he he, he sings and everything's really based on intervals and the contrast of of the melody the dynamic of of the lengths of the notes it's all very meticulous and thought out but basically the overview is to really just challenge yourself and push yourself and and think about things twice before you put them in but also finding that balance of you know not losing what comes naturally to you on Twitter, you called Wildflower a Frankenstein of everything that you love about music. And we thought it'd be fun if we could break down some of its sounds and share the references that you're hearing and the references that we're hearing. Right off the top, we have this beautiful intro. That feels like Queen or the Beach Boys to me. But, I mean, not to toot our own horn, but that's what we're going for (laughs) with the vocal group stuff. You know, that is so much better than what I heard. For some reason, my ear went to Fleet Foxes. Oh, no. (laughs) But within the context of the song, I think the Queen and Beach Boys makes a lot more sense. I think think that's that's a good shout, though. I like that. And then we move into the guitar tones here, which are pure 80s bliss. (laughs) 
Yeah, we're getting uh, like Cindy Lauper time after time vibes here. Time after time. What do you think, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think there's a there's a bunch of different guitar sounds in terms of what was inspiring us. I think a big one for me was Oasis. There are many things that I would like to say to you, but I don't know how. But also, if you go back into the 80s, I mean, In Excess was a huge one, especially because they're Australian as well. Tonally, I think they nailed a staple sound for their guitar tone. I'm lonely. Talk Talk was a big one. I was really taken by the way in which the chorus is phrased. It is really unique. There's a middle melody, there's a low melody, there's a high melody. Quite unique phrasing, kind of choppy. What's going on there? Yeah, so basically the basic idea in the room was to Oscar Gores, the producer, already had uh, the track laid out and you hear the stabs in, in the chorus and the basic idea was to write around the stabs really and leave the stabs kind of open and prominent as if they were a lyric themselves. So that was the, the first foundation that we laid. And basically we just started singing as many ideas as we could. And once we hooked on to something that we liked, we expanded on that idea. Then we came back and we tried something different and kind of left no stone unturned. And cause he had, he had a Swedish guy in the session well, two Swedes, you had one Canadian, you had two Australians. So it, it was a total like culture, <laughs> like fuckery in, in the room. And everyone huh. was coming in with these strange <laughs> ideas, which was awesome. Well, if everyone gets to sing a part, I, I call the low part. <laughs> Do you want to look? I hadn't really heard any other sort of contemporary or nostalgic references the, the closest thing I could hear that uses this same sort of style was this weird bridge section in Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Jesus, sounds good. You just forget. I mean, I'm hearing it through a, like a fuzzy speaker right now, and it's still the guitar tones sound just... Stunning in that. <laughs> it's crazy. We love all that 80s stuff and that bridge, like with the the keys and kind of the open ooze. It's kind of it's it's definitely taking from that kind of vibe. Whether it was directly inspired by that particular song, I like that. I'm actually enjoying all the references where maybe it wasn't the thing that we thought of for 
like any of the songs, but it actually has a similar vibe to it. <laughs> like it might not have been exactly what we're listening to, like and referencing in the um, in the writing process of any of the songs, but it's like really, it's super close and in the same kind of genre pack. We'll we'll throw one more reference out there and see if you're still so favorable because when we get to the bridge of Wildflower, we're almost hearing this moving in kind of a new age direction. Gentlemen, I don't know what to say other than the thing that my ear immediately went to was Enya. And I mean it in the greatest way. I love that song. Yeah, I don't think anyone in our career has ever ever compared us to (laughs) that. I think that's a great thing, to be honest. (laughs) Oh, it's fantastic. Colm, you recently posted to YouTube a short video breaking down all of the stems of this song, um, the individual components. And when I was listening to that, I I heard something that really took my ear. I'm going to show you. This is just the drums and pro together. And all here you have all these loops, all these live drums at the top. And with the chords here, the stabs. You mentioned that word before earlier, stabs. What, What is a stab? Basically, for me, a stab is is when, in terms of the whole band, uh, accentuating a note or a pattern or a sound all cohesively at the same time. That's what a stab means for me. And you had described the potential kinds of layers that you think might have been in the stab that, uh, that your producers brought you. How Could you describe that? Yeah, I think Oscar would have used, I mean, without giving too much of his secrets away, there would have been a lot of a lot of layered synths. I think there was a prophet in there. There probably was a Juno, and there was definitely a verbed out piano keys sound. Well, this stab we think has a larger history. We have a segment we like to do called Classical Masters, where we relate something from the present into the past. Here in particular, we noticed what what we would usually call like an orchestral hit. You're calling a stab, and it reminded us of a video that our Vox colleague Estelle Caswell made for her video series Earworm on YouTube. Here's Estelle. There are all types of orchestral hits. But the original actually comes from 1910, when Igor Stravinsky premiered his piece The Firebird at the Paris Opera. Check it out. So what's crazy is how Stravinsky's orchestral hit made it onto hundreds of records in the 1980s. And he did that via one other important Aussie who invented the first commercial sampler. I'm Peter Vogel. I developed the first commercial sampling synthesizer, which was the Fairlight CMI, back in about 1975. Ironically, the the orchestra hit was a complete accident, which was sampled by me. Uh, I just happened to have a a vinyl recording of the Stravinsky Firebird Suite nearby when I was messing around that orchestra hit, which I think was right at the beginning of, of one of the tracks. And I thought, oh, that's a good sound. Peter called the sound Orc 2 and put it on an 8-inch floppy disk full of those other stock sounds. And obviously, uh, a lot of people took a liking to it. Yeah, 
So that's African Babata's Planet Rock and the stock sound Orc 2 on the Fairlight CMI became such a smash you can hear it on the Pet Shop Boys Always on My Mind. Duran Duran's A View to Kill, The Smith's Last Night I Dreamt, New Order's Bizarre Love Triangle, and even Britney Spears' Lucky features the Orc 2 sample, which actually takes us back to Rami Yaakob, who is also on your track, Wildflower. Oh, I actually didn't know that. That's that's yeah, really I sick. Had, I had no idea. Oh, damn. So this segment's actually called Aussie to Aussie to Aussie then. <laughs> he said it the first sample was, did I hear it correct, it was on a floppy disk? Yeah, that's right. So this device, the Fairlight CMI, was this old computer. It was extremely expensive. Very few people could afford it at the time. This giant computer was run off of floppy disks, and it was the original sampler. It was the original even sort of like digital audio workstation where you could sequence things on a screen. And so one of the famous sounds was this Stravinsky sample that just happened to be in Peter Vogel's studio. He recorded it in, and then it became the sound of the 1980s. It was on so many sounds. So when I hear the stab on Wildflower, it brings me back into this whole sort of body of work that connects us Aussie to Aussie to Aussie. <laughs> I, I love that. I think, I mean, even on the, on the last couple albums, we... I feel like at the start, uh, we because people keep putting us in like this space we didn't really feel very comfortable in, as in people would call us one thing. We felt like, well, another thing, like I said, you know, angsty and teenagers. And I think <laughs> on the third and fourth album, we kind of just let go of everything. Started like experimenting, particularly with um, with Cal playing more and more keys and keyboards um, and it being like, like, like you said, like a Juno or a Prophet or something, like in trying all these sounds. Then you go, oh, who used these sounds? And you go like, oh, Nine Inch Nails uses these sounds. All these rock bands have all these like cool sounds in them and they like opens up a whole new melodic pocket. Yeah. We've unpacked some of the Frankenstein musical elements that have gone into this track, Wildflower. What else can can people expect to hear on this album? So Red Desert is the opening on the album and it has like a very Crosby Stills and Nash like Americana Eagles type opening vocally. Wildflower is like the lighter side of that song. It's really odd how they came about in the same process because they feel like similar with the vocal vocal style we did, like the big gang harmonies and like big like stuff like that. But it wasn't. It's almost like complete end of the spectrum. Um, you can kind of hear some Depeche Mode and like on the more acoustic verse stuff. Like we're, we're trying to go like Jeff Buckley or even like the storytelling of um, the great Johnny Cash and. It's kind of a weird mixture of, like, when we talk about Wildflower, we're talking about Enya and, and Talk Talk, and then, like, we've got the Eagles and, like, darker stuff, like Nine Inch Nails, and there's, like, Depeche Mode, and, like I said, like, all those singer-songwriter kind of um, artists as well. In the same way that when you hear Tame Impala, you know you hear Tame Impala, here we are getting such a as you put it, a sort of Frankenstein of references, and yet it is so clearly Five Seconds of Summer. I've been playing it in the background for the last couple of days since it's been out, and every single time my attention fades because I'm taking care of my new little kiddo, yeah. like immediately <laughs> something happens, and I'm like, whoa, 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 gotta go listen. <laughs> and I'm like, pick up the kid and go check out what's happening in the track. Oh, that's awesome to hear, man. Glad, uh, glad it was a good listen. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us on Switched on Pop. 
All right. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Thanks for uh, going through these references. It makes me uh, makes me happy, <laughs> to be honest. It <laughs> makes me excited to make more music when we talk about stuff like this. <laughs> Switched on Pop is produced by me, Nate Sloan, and he, Charlie Harding. We're produced by Bridget Armstrong and Megan Lubin, mixed, engineered, and mastered by Brandon McFarlane. Illustration by Iris Gottlieb. Social media by Abby Barr. And our executive producers are Nishak Karwa and Liz Nelson. We're proud members of the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can find more of our shows anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hit us up on the Twits, on the Twitter. We love uh, hearing from you there. We're at Switched on Pop. And uh, until then, we'll see you next week with a brand new Piping Hot episode. Thanks Thanks for for listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.